0: Friends, here on this Good Friday together, we're going to be looking at a few verses in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 tonight. As we begin, I wonder how many of you have heard of a man whose name was Reverend John Stott. John Stott was a world-renowned pastor from Britain. He was a teacher, uh, he was a writer, an author, a communicator. He was used by the Lord tremendously on really both sides of the Atlantic Ocean, uh, for many years, uh, one book that John Stott wrote that I have in my library that is really a Christian classic and I would recommend it to you. Uh, it's entitled Basic Christianity. And this is a book that's been around since the 70s and is still in print today. I mean, it's just a, a classic treatment of what does it mean to be a Christian? What do Christians truly believe? So I would recommend that book to you by John Stott called Basic Christianity. Well, after many years of Christian service and preaching and writing, John Stott went home to heaven back in 2011. But there's a true story from John Stott's traveling days that I wanted to begin with tonight. I wanted you to hear in in his own words something that happened when he arrived to be a speaker at the University of Sydney, Australia. He was there as a special guest of the students and they were putting on a big event for students, and he was there to speak to them and to talk about the good news of Jesus, and it just so happened, as he arrived, he lost his voice. Here's what John Stott writes of that event. What can you do with a speaker who has no voice? We had come to the last night of the evangelistic campaign. The students had booked the big university hall. A group of students gathered around me, and I asked them to pray, as Paul the Apostle did, that this thorn in the flesh might be taken away from me. But we went on to pray that if it pleased God to keep me in this weakness, I would rejoice in my infirmities in order that the power of Christ would rest upon me. As it turned out, that evening I had to get within one inch of the microphone just to croak out the gospel. I was totally unable to use any inflection of my voice to express my personality. It was just a croak, a croak of a monotone. And all the time, students and myself, we were praying to God that His power would be demonstrated in human weakness. Well, I can honestly say that there was a far greater response that night than any other night. I've been back to Australia ten times now, and on every occasion, someone has come up to me and said, Do you remember that night you lost your voice? I was converted to Jesus Christ that night. Friends, without a doubt, you and I could pull up a dozen stories like that from church history and from the Bible, where we see God's mighty power put on display in what human beings would probably say is this huge disappointment of of weakness. But friends, surely the, the greatest example in all the world, the greatest example in all the Bible, is God's wisdom and God's power displayed in the cross of Jesus Christ. What human beings thought was foolish, what they thought was, was a seeming weakness was really a great display of God's great power and God's infinite wisdom. You know, for all of those people who stood around, the spectators who were there watching Jesus be crucified like a common criminal, I mean, for most of them, as it, as it seemed to their eyes, as it seemed to their own understanding, to them, this was, this was a disgrace. This was something terrible. This was something uh, shocking. This was the worst humiliation that a human being could ever endure. Even the strongest of men were made weak when those iron nails were driven through their hands. And yet we know, don't we, from the sacred scriptures, it was through that very event, that event of weakness, that event of suffering, that event of shame, where God puts His power on display, His wisdom, as Jesus is there dying, not for Himself, but for sinners like you and me. Well, friends, tonight in this message, just prior to our fellowship around the communion table, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And it's a great little passage that helps to explain the power and the wisdom of the cross. And friends, it's my desire as we look at this passage from God's Word that not only you'll come away with a hopefully a a little better understanding of the cross and how it is truly the power of God, the wisdom of God, but I especially hope that by the end of this service tonight that you will be moved to have an even more heartfelt rejoicing and even more humble thanksgiving at this great Savior and what He did for you there on the cross. So, with all that said, let's look at God's Word now in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 18 down through verse 25. Again, if you're using a Pew Bible there, it's page 895. So you look for 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and follow down the verse numbers, and you'll get to verse 18, and that's where we are. And Scripture says, "...for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing." It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, but Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, friends, here in the section that we're looking at tonight, I want to give you just a little context of what we're looking at here. Paul is the writer. He's writing to this church, an ancient church at the city of Corinth. This was a young church, and they were struggling with a lot of divisions in their midst. They were struggling with a lot of factions and a lot of fighting. And in the early part of chapter 1, Paul pleads with these Christians, you got to stop the fighting. You got to stop these factions. These these factions were bubbling up in the local church as various Christians were kind of lining up and kind of taking sides behind their favorite leaders and their favorite preachers. Some people were saying, now that Paul Paul, he's my guy. That's the guy I like to follow. And other people were saying, oh, no, you got it all wrong. Apollos, he is such a mighty public speaker. Apollos, now that's the guy I like to follow. And, of course, other people say, oh, no, you're both wrong. No, Peter is really the one that you need to be following. Well, in the early part of this chapter, Paul writes to these Christians and says, look, Christ isn't divided. Christ isn't divided, and His body isn't supposed to be divided either. So you all need to be uniting together, not putting your loyalty under this person or that person. Your true loyalty ought to be with Jesus Christ. He's the one that you ought to be giving your supreme loyalty to. Look at verse 17, if you'll skip back just a few verses. Paul said this, "...for Christ did not send me to baptize," in other words, to make followers for Himself, Paul says, "...but to preach the gospel." Not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be made of no effect. Well, friends, it's right here. Paul dials in on the message of the cross. And he begins to launch into this little argument on the power of the cross and the wisdom of the cross. Nowhere else do we see a greater contrast between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. Nowhere else do you see that in a greater display than when you start to study and think about the cross and what was happening there with Jesus Christ. Family, as we read that passage together, I hope you took notice of a word that kept being used over and over again. It was a word that repeated some eight times. It was the word wise or the word wisdom. And that's the key word in this section. And Paul is trying to emphasize to these Christians that God's power and God's wisdom was put on display there at the cross. But it's interesting Paul's going to show us that not everybody thinks that way. Not everybody really understands that the cross is the fullness of God's wisdom and God's power. In fact, in these verses that we read, Paul actually delineates three different opinions. Three different opinions that people often have as it related to the cross. And you know what? These three opinions still continue into the present day. In fact, I could say this tonight that every single person who's listening to this message, every single one of you fits into at least one of these three categories that we're going to look at right now. So what are they? According to God's Word, how do people respond to the message of the cross? Well, here's number one, and if you want to take some notes there in your handout tonight, I want you to see this. Number one, some will stumble at the cross. Here's number one, some will stumble at the cross. Did you notice there we read in verse 18, Paul makes this powerful statement when he says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's interesting, that little word foolishness in the original language is the same word where we get our English word moron or moronic. That's the word here for foolishness. It's the word moron or moronic. To the common, secular, unbelieving person... This idea that God is going to rescue people eternally, that he's going to save people by using a common carpenter's son? This, this guy who was born in a stable and died as a common criminal on a Roman cross? I mean, that's the savior? That's crazy. That's moronic. That's nonsense. You want me to believe in that message? You want me to stake my eternity on that stuff? Trust that? Trust that kind of a so-called Savior? That's ridiculous. And that is the viewpoint of many secular people, both in Paul's day and still today. And Paul explains here, this is the mindset of people who reject Christ. They, They look at the cross of Christ and what happens there, and they say, this is just foolishness. Well, Paul explains that for people who take that position, those who make that kind of rejection, did you notice what Paul says there in verse 18? He says, they are perishing. And he even puts it in the present tense. They are in this continual state of of perishing. But look at verse 22. Verse 22, one group in particular, one group of people who called Christ and His cross foolishness were the Jews Now, who were the Jews? Well, they were Jesus' own countrymen. They stumbled mightily at the message that God was saving His people through Jesus. They stumbled mightily at the person and the message of Jesus. And Paul explains in the verses we read there, so many Jews were looking for the miraculous. They were looking for miraculous signs. They wanted to see signs and wonders. They wanted to see cosmic things. That's what they expected that their Messiah was going to do. They wanted to see Jesus do incredible cosmic things like Moses and Elijah had done. But of course, we know as we read the Gospels about the life of Jesus... Those religious leaders were constantly hounding Jesus. Come on, show us something. Prove yourself. And, of course, Jesus refused their advances. Look in your notes there. I gave you a great scripture from Matthew chapter 12. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered and they said, Teacher, speaking to Jesus, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, friends, I think it's interesting if you think about it. Jesus did do a lot of miracles, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did a lot of miracles. Think of how many miracles Jesus did perform. In front of his countrymen. I mean, he did so many miracles. He made it so plain that he was their promised Messiah. And yet, the religious leaders and so many of them stumbled over him. They stumbled and they ultimately rejected him. And because in their minds, the cross was a sign of weakness. Their Messiah was supposed to come in power and authority and might and, and dominate, not be crucified on a cross to be crucified that's the ultimate sign of disgrace that's the ultimate sign of of weakness and so the message of Jesus and his cross wouldn't fit into their system and so to these unbelieving Jews it was as Paul said an offense it was a scandal that's literally what that word stumbling block means there in verse 23 stumbling block it means it was an outrage to them it was scandalous They, they tripped over it and that outrage continues today, even in the 21st century. There are many Jewish people today who continue to reject Jesus. They want nothing to do with Jesus. They say, he's, he's not my Messiah. He's not my Savior. And you know what, friends, listen, it isn't only people of Jewish heritage who are pushing Jesus away. Many people today, modern people, are continually stumbling over Jesus because they're hindered in some way by something. Many people today, as we know in the 21st century, they're being hindered by their own religion. The message of Jesus Christ doesn't seem to fit with their ideas of how religion is supposed to work. You see, many people understand religion is that God helps me as I help myself. And so many people pour themselves into their religion and they want to do good deeds. They want to do good works. They've got to do the church thing and they've got to pour themselves into all this religious work. And yet they stumble over this message that Jesus says, you must come to me with empty hands. You must come to me and you must rely on me alone. You're not relying on your works. You're relying on mine alone. And what I did on the cross. Well, so many people today are stumbling over Jesus. They're unwilling to come with empty hands and a humble heart. And because of that, Paul says they are perishing. Now, here's a second thing that Paul shows us about the cross and the attitude that people often have towards the cross. Number two, some people will scoff at the cross. Number two, some people will scoff at the cross. And we see this in verses 22 and 23. Now, I just said a moment ago, the first group of people that stumbled greatly at the cross were Jewish people. Uh, they, Jesus would not fit in their box, and so they rejected Him. Even though He was a, a virgin-born Messiah, even though He was born in Bethlehem, even though He fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament, even though He taught God's truth, performed miracles, rose the third day, they still rejected Jesus. But you know what there was another class of people who rejected Jesus but for a whole different reason and that was the Greeks the Greeks and Paul mentions them in verse 22 now what's interesting about the Greek people the Greek people of ancient days they were very much all about wisdom wisdom and intelligence and philosophy you see, Greek people were, were really into philosophy and wisdom and academics and, and learning. And part of their culture was, was actually going and listening to speeches and listening to academic talks and hearing uh, scholarship and, and philosophy. And Greeks often would gather and listen to speeches be given about all kinds of belief systems. And, and they just loved that. They loved to just think deeply and swim around in all this philosophy. And you know, in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul experiences a little bit of that at Mars Hill when he's there speaking to the Athenians there in Greece. And they say, come and tell us, come and tell us, teacher, tell us about this teaching that you have. You see, family, Paul understood these Greek people in the ancient world. They were big into intellectualism, real big into philosophy, real big into um, sophisticated thought. Well, here comes Paul, and here comes the other apostles, and here they are preaching a message about a savior who died on a cross. Now, how do you think that sounds to a philosophically thinking, high-minded Greek philosopher type? Oh, that, they just laughed. They just roared. They mocked. Are you kidding? The Savior of the world died like a criminal on a cross? They laughed, they mocked, they called it foolishness. Why? Because only the most despicable criminals ever got crucified. Crucifixion wasn't a sign of power. Crucifixion wasn't a sign of great glory and ascending the ladder of wisdom. No, crucifixion was the ultimate sign of humiliation. It was the ultimate sign of weakness. So you're telling me that I'm supposed to believe in this Savior who died a cruel death on a cross? That's supposed to be the Savior that's going to take me off into an eternal destiny? And so you can understand, the Greek people, they said, man, I want nothing to do with that. That's not wisdom. That's stupid. That doesn't make any sense at all. That doesn't sound profound. It doesn't sound deep. That doesn't sound anything intellectual. That sounds like foolishness. And so the Greeks saw no wisdom in this message about Jesus and a cross. didn't sound anything like the truth that was being taught by their philosophers and their scholars. And so they heard the message of Jesus, and what did they do? They laughed, and they mocked, and they scored, and they rejected it. And so guess what? For the Greeks, Paul says it was the same for them as it was for the Jews. As they were rejecting Jesus, they too were perishing perishing. You know, maybe you know someone today. Maybe you have a friend. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe someone who lives down the street from you. Uh, maybe it's even a relative, and they're very high-minded. They're very intellectual. They're a deep thinker. They're very much into philosophy or deep thoughts or academics, and they're really absorbed by uh, philosophies and, and intellectual ideas, and maybe they really like to debate ideas, And some of those people simply will not accept the message of Jesus Christ, crucified for sinners. And they won't do it for the same reason that these Greeks wouldn't do it generations ago. Because it just sounds foolish. They look at that message of Jesus and they say, that's not wisdom. They say, that's ridiculous. That's that's utter foolishness. You're telling me God... Kills his own son in order to save people for eternity? How does that make sense? How can that ever be called love? And so, because so many people even today, because they're so fixated with their own intellectual ideas, their own sensibilities, their own sense of what is wisdom or what is smart or what is philosophical or intellectual, because of that, you tell them about Jesus and they scoff They say, that is ridiculous. But yet, friends, look at verses 19 and following here. Paul makes this great contrast between man's wisdom that is so weak and God's wisdom which is mighty. Paul makes a quote there from Isaiah 29 to emphasize that God, God puts down human wisdom. God puts human wisdom down and His wisdom is what reigns supreme. In your notes there, I gave you a wonderful little quote from Warren Wiersbe. And Wiersbe said this, that God has written a zero over all the wisdom of man. I like that. Back when you were in school, remember how your teacher, if you really got a bad grade, your teacher would take the red marker and put the F. Lee, why are you smiling, brother? It's okay. I've gotten a few myself. You remember, she'd take that red pen, and boy, she'd put that giant F on that paper, and you knew you had failed that test. And so Wiersbe says, God has put a zero over all the wisdom of man. You see, friends, listen, when we want to talk about redemption, we want to talk about salvation, we cannot go with the wisdom of man. We need the wisdom of God. And in His wise counsel, God determined that the wisdom of man could never figure out how to get salvation accomplished No, God determined that He would make salvation possible through His Son, Jesus. And so look where you will. Look across the planet today. Dig into the works of the most gifted writers, the most elegant philosophers, the most trained experts. And the Bible says none of them can ever bring you to redemption through human wisdom. That's what Paul's driving home there in verse 19 and verse 20. Instead, Paul says, verse 21, salvation comes in the most unlikely way this message preached, taught, talked about. The foolishness of this message preached to save people who would believe it by faith. Why? Why is that such wisdom on God's part? Why did God choose to do it that way? Because the Bible shows us when we simply believe, On Jesus Christ when we come to Jesus with empty hands all of the glory goes to God all the glory goes to him and none of it comes to us Ephesians 2 9 reminds us about how salvation works that it is not of human works so that no man may boast none of us can ever say yes I redeemed myself no that is not how salvation works Friends, let me give you one final attitude here that a person can have towards the cross. Paul tells us some people will stumble at the cross. Some people will scoff at the cross. Thirdly, some people will surrender at the cross. I want you to look at verse 23. Verse 23 there. Paul says, Jews may stumble and Greeks may scoff, but nevertheless... Nonetheless, Paul continues to sound the one note. He continues to preach one message. The message of Jesus Christ crucified for sinners. That's the only message that saves. People may laugh at it. They may scoff at it. But the message of Jesus dying on the cross, that is the power of God. That is the wisdom of God unto salvation. In other words, friends, what we're saying is that the message of the cross... It may seem pointless to some. It may seem stupid to others. It is in reality God's great wisdom and God's mighty power put on display. Romans chapter 1, in verse 16, the Bible says that Jesus and his cross is the power of God unto salvation. So, yes, there are going to be, even in our own day, there will be many who stumble at the cross. They scoff about the cross, this message of Jesus crucified. Satan loves to keep people in the dark. He loves to keep people blinded that this is the truth, that this is the only way to salvation, that it's not good works, it's not being religious. No, it's coming with empty hands to Jesus and say, Jesus, you alone and what you did on the cross, that is salvation for me. So many people reject that message. And as a result, the Bible says they are continuing in their perishing. But friends, the great joy that you and I are here to celebrate tonight, the reason that we're here on this Good Friday is this reality that God is still saving people by the cross. We are here tonight to testify that God has saved us through the power of Jesus on the cross. Verse 24 is a great contrast. You have the unbelieving Jews and unbelieving Gentiles but yet the call goes out and people are still today believing on Jesus Christ. They are the ones who are in the process of being saved. Those who are not believing, they're in the process of perishing, but those who are believing, they are in the process of being saved there in verse 18. So praise God tonight, not everybody scoffs, not everybody stumbles. Thankfully, there are many who surrender who surrender their hearts and their lives to believe on Jesus. And friends, that's what we're here to celebrate tonight. What Jesus did there on the cross, He did for us. We're here to celebrate this gospel. This is the good news. This is the gospel that breaks down all the various barriers of colors and backgrounds and educations. This is what makes church families united. It's our united belief in this message that Jesus alone saves us And He saved us through the cross. Friends, we're here tonight because of a blood-stained cross. And Jesus, our Savior, was the one upon it. And you and I together, as we're here, we're here to say with one voice, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The cross isn't foolishness. The cross isn't foolishness. It's a fountain. It's a fountain by which the blood of Jesus cleanses All my sins now friends just before we draw to this time of the Lord's Supper I just want to close this message tonight with just three questions for you just three questions just a few thoughts for you to ponder from these scriptures we've considered I want to ask you tonight which of these three attitudes are you holding which of these three attitudes are you presently holding regarding Jesus and his cross Remember, the Bible just showed us in that scripture we read that there are only two effects. There's only two end results. Either you are perishing or you are being saved. So friends, just consider these three questions. Here's the first one. Are you truly surrendered to the cross of Jesus? Are you truly surrendered to Jesus? He's the Savior on the cross. Do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? Friend, if you've never Humbled your own heart. If you've never believed on Jesus and confessed your sins to Him, why? I hope tonight will be the night that you come to Jesus by faith. You'll confess your sins and believe on Him as your only Lord and your Savior. Praise God. If you do that, the Bible says He will save you. Jesus gives His promise. All those who call out to Him, He will save. Now, my last two questions are for those of you here tonight who are Christians. If you're here and you say, yes, Pastor Ryan, I have I have believed on Jesus Christ. I am trusting Him alone for my salvation. Well, friends, let me ask you two questions. Are you remaining in a state of awe at Jesus? Are you maintaining that sense of awe and wonder at at God's wisdom displayed at the cross? Christian, I'm asking you, when you hear about the cross, does it fill you with joy? Does it fill you with wonder? Or has it just become another religious fact Christian I'm asking does the cross still stir your heart does it stir you have you have you lost your sense of wonder have you lost your sense of awe at the power and the wisdom of the cross well friend if so I hope tonight that you'll ask God to stir your heart Stir your heart freshly to help you see with with fresh eyes and a a renewed uh, spirit, this cross and what was happening there, the power and the wisdom of God that He was working for you. And then lastly, believer, knowing that so many people all around us, all around us, even as we speak, millions of people are wandering in darkness and they don't understand the way of Jesus and they're rejecting Jesus. They're blinded by Satan's devices well, for you, Christian, let me ask you, are you bowing your knee with gratitude that God opened your eyes to see and understand the glory of Jesus Christ in the Gospel? Friend, I'm asking you tonight, Christian, are you, are you maintaining your humility, your thankfulness that, that you, someone like you, someone like me, we had our eyes... Opened and our understanding opened to see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Christian friend, I want to remind you tonight the Bible says it is by grace that you are saved through faith. And Scripture says neither grace nor faith is something you create. Grace and faith are the gifts of God that you and I cannot take credit for. So friends, when we meet with Jesus around the table as we conclude this service tonight, Christian friend, can I just encourage you, come humbly, come gratefully, and most of all, come with a heart rejoicing. You know, when it comes to the cross of Jesus Christ, many people have stumbled and many people have scoffed. But for those of us who have surrendered, the cross will always be the pulpit of God's love for us. There is a cross, Paul says, and at that cross we find the clearest demonstration of the power and the wisdom of God. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.